Every world became a garden, and for every garden there was a shepherd, and for all the shepherds a greater purpose. Open this world to the winding path, light the way where I wish to roam, across the seas of infinity for this weary traveler far from home. This is The Lost Tribe. Welcome back to The Lost Tribe, Sins the Father. As always, I am the author, your humble narrator, the King Ryder. This week we'll be reading from chapters 21 and 22. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow and subscribe to help me keep bringing the story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 21 Someone groaned from within the gray sedan that first ran over Noxos. In all the confusion, I forgot that Jack was using people to carry out his attacks against Father's thug. A delicate white hand reached out from the driver's side and fiddled with the handle of the door. It pulled and pulled at the handle, but the door wouldn't open. The red truck that had hit him was untouched. A fellow in a plaid shirt and old cap and jeans got out and ran towards us. He took one look at us as he got closer and turned back to help whomever was in the car. She'll live, Mick, Jack said, watching me. I was connected with them. She's in shock a little bruised. That's all. I started back towards the group. And the driver in the RV? Extra crispy, I would imagine, Falkir mused. I grabbed Jack by the front of his jacket and threw him back against the broken brick wall. I knew it would come to this eventually. I grabbed him and thrust him up against the wall. Hold it, Mick. I'm not listening. This was the whole problem that separated us in the first place. You can't use people like that, Jack. Kill them thoughtlessly? He pushed me off of him. Well, you can't, Mick. But I'm not so worried about it, you know? I staggered back and pointed my sword at his face. Go for it, Mick. Toss a tactical advantage and a warrior already losing in the garbage. Just try it. He is right, Mick. If Jack or Felker have information about Menon, you need to hear them out, despite how much you despise them. That's very weak, Mick. Lycotus chided. Shut him up, Apostos, I said aloud. Jack raised his eyebrows and held up his hands. Okay, I get it. Your gears are slipping a bit. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. He is locked down again, Mick. It is getting harder to restrain him. He is feeding on your worst emotions to grow stronger. It's only going to get harder. What are we going to do when we take in all that dark energy? Won't Lyconis get even stronger? Maybe. But I can draw on that power too, so I can hold him back. It'll be a tug of war, so to speak. Oh, we'll finish this later. We're out of the woods yet. I sheathed my sword. <sighs> we can't stay here. That guy can track me wherever I go, and I don't think we stopped him for long, based on how tough Apostos was. What would you suggest? I couldn't believe he was here, within reach. I was sure that he was the one who killed Simi. After all the things he had done, how could I work with him without it coming to blood? We had kind of a history. Portaling out won't do us any good, Jack said. If he can track you, he'll just follow you into the next world. It might be easier to lose him in a clustered place, like this city. Too many bystanders, I told him. Perhaps Father would let the giant kill his people, Atomo said. He is supposed to care about them. Well, as long as you can refrain from using them in suicide attacks, Jack, then maybe we can get away clean, I said. I'll try not to, but when it comes to the point where it's them or me, you know which one I'll choose. Fair enough. Falkir was looking back and forth at us quizzically. The sound of police sirens started mixing with the car alarms. 
Excuse me, but who the hell is Father? I shook my head. He's Apostasus' boss. He created all the worlds. I looked sharply at Jack. How the hell do you know that, Penny? He said. I didn't share all of what she told me with the rest of the kingdom. Knowledge is power where I come from. Guess the dunce cap goes to you, doesn't it, Falcon, old chum? The sirens were getting closer. We need to go now, Tomo said. Where are the others? Safe, I said, and until I decide what your new companions can do to help our cause, they'll stay that way. There's an entrance to the platform for a train that leads to another city in the north a few blocks away. We could head there now. Two police cars came screaming from around the corner and pulled up to the warehouse ruins. Cops, Jack said. I love cops. He started walking towards the police cars. Wait, I told him, moving up to him. He turned around, his eyes flaring green. Too late. Oh, ye of little faith, he said, smiling. The police car slid up alongside us, and the driver's side door opened. The cops nodded at us and opened up the back doors. Their eyes were glowing. Jack climbed in, whistling. Coming? We piled into the two cars. I sat with the Tomo as we rode to the rail platform. Care to explain your new traveling companions? I don't know if it was luck, fate, or perhaps what has bound us together, Mick. In truth, I was torn between my need to find Jack and kill him, and my word to you that I would return. I was traveling through Conway, a city I believe you know, when I ran to flesh. I remembered it. It was where I was run over and subsequently hospitalized. I didn't know the name until much later when Casey and I traded stories about where we had traveled. Conway was a modern city and very crime-ridden. Flesh's presence in the city did not surprise me. Casey said that Conway might have been on Flesh's homeworld, but we didn't know for sure. She was rounding up victims from Anon's plans, using her wolves to terrorize and drive them into a portal she had created. I confronted her, and she seized the opportunity to try and persuade me to help her free the others from Anon. She was only doing his bidding out of fear, or so she said. We rescued everyone but Penny, so don't expect Jack to do much beyond save his own skin without much reassurances that we will rescue Penny from Manon. True, said the cop, driving the car. Both of us started a bit. I forgot that Jack was actually here, hearing us through his puppets. Oh well, it would save a conversation later. Understood, Jack. What about Falkir? He was to be sacrificed as well, or so it seemed. Maybe this is the trick. Flesh lured you in, got you to bring them back into our midst so Menon can kill us all in one go. Flesh attacked Menon at the last second, after Jack lost control of his sacrifices. She held him off while we escaped. It was honorable, Mick. Worthy. We can't afford to be stupid anymore, Otomo. Is that why you won't tell me where the others are? You don't trust me? Didn't this guy cut up your hand? Yes, and he's traveling with another guy who stepped on the stump after, and another guy who wanted to eat me the first time we met. What's your point? Hmm, touché. What? What play language is that? I mean that I get your point. Oh. It's not that I don't trust you, Otomo, but I'm trying to keep my friends out of harm's way, and I'm trying to figure out how to do that and still put the kingdom's soldiers to good use against Manal. Sorry, Jack, but that's just how it is. The car started to slow down, and the cop driving turned slightly towards me, his eyes glowing green under Jack's control. Is that it? Up ahead? I looked out the window and saw a large, wide boulevard coming up with a staircase with gates on the front that led to a large trestle above. It was getting lighter now outside, towards dawn. If we didn't get on our way soon, we'd get caught up in the morning commuter traffic, and that would be disastrous if we were attacked again. Yeah, that's it. Make sure that these guys get far away after letting us off. I don't want to have to worry about their guns when they realize something's amiss. No problem. Where's the nearest pier?
The cop blinked at me and smiled. Jack was on his best behavior for now. Somehow I couldn't imagine Jack giving a damn about the cops otherwise. We parked beside the station, and Jack got rid of the cops while I summoned up some tokens to gain a sentry. I stuck my sword in one of the trash cans, which got some funny looks from the others. I tossed the automatic in with it and nodded at the gates. A middle-aged woman dressed in black pants and a white shirt with a stenciled logo of the city rail system above her left breast stood in the opening beside a drop box. She seemed not to see or not care about the fact that I just chucked a pair of lethal weapons in the trash. I gave each of them a token. Follow me. I dropped the token in the box and moved past the gates a few steps up the stairs. The others followed and we went up to the platform above. It was deserted, save for a few birds that flew back and forth between the supports of the large aluminum roof that covered the length of the open platform. Down the tunnel, I could see a light beginning to grow in the distance. I was suddenly hit by an intense wave of malice that surprised me. I looked around at my companions, and my thoughts turned nasty. Valkyr seemed to react to the change in me and backed away to drop into a crouch. I eyed him with a murderous glare. Jack reached into his jacket pocket and backed away as well. The sword, Mick! Quickly! Of course. I summoned the sword to me as quickly as I could. I felt this reassuring light flow back into my being, and the incredible feeling of anger and hatred slowly ebbed away. What a fool I was. I was getting worse. With Lyconis awake and stronger in power, I couldn't afford to be away from the sword. I would become more dangerous to my own people than Menal. I put it back in its scabbard and sagged a bit as the reassuring strength of the sword flowed into me. What the hell is wrong with you? I walked up to him. Well, after you and the kingdom decided to mutilate me, I became host to darkness itself. Flesh's clumsy administrations made it possible for the evil that Menon perpetuates to get a foothold in me. Father gave me the sword to destroy the kingdom and keep the darkness at bay. The remnant of the being I was before, a colleague of Apostasus called Iconus, exists inside me now, along with Apostasus himself after your former boss ruined his shell and drove him into me. Now, I'm host to powers that are conflicting, dangerous, and growing stronger with each passing moment. One says for me to save you, Falkir, and the other says stick the sword in you and take the power to add to my own. That's what's wrong with me, asshole. The train rounded the curve in the tunnel and began to move alongside the platform. I looked at each of them in turn. What you have to ask yourselves, all of you, each of you, is if you're going to get in this train with me, because there's no more time for infighting. The stakes are high, and I'd imagine you think that there's no guarantee that we'll win, or even make a difference. I happen to believe that we can. The train slowed down, and a pair of doors slipped open close to the four of us. I stepped through and sat down at the empty table. Atomo joined me quickly. Jack shrugged his shoulders at Falkir and entered the train. Falkir looked down at the empty platform for a moment. I knew how much he wanted to kill me, and he knew where he stood with me. In the end, we both knew it would come to blood. It gave me pause as well. Better the devil I know. He got on board, taking a seat across from the others. Could I count that as a win? It was hard to know for sure. Chapter 22 We traded stories. It was the only way I could think of to get everyone up to speed, including Atomo's encounter with flesh and my plans for Manon. We took turns, each slightly reluctant to give away anything. I withheld where I sent the rest of the group. I didn't trust Valkyr not to use it against me. I listened intensely to his story, especially the bits about Apostles walking to the castle, and Manon's communication with the sinister power that spoke through Penny. 
The implications were ominous. I knew that I couldn't trust Father after learning how he betrayed us all to cover up his disastrous mistake. Now I began to believe he offered a Papastos to Menon in some kind of bribe to stay away. For what Falkir told us, Menon wasn't interested in deals at all, and whatever his endgame was, it would be a bad thing for Father and his creations. The way it was going now, we had to force one side to lose without being destroyed in the aftermath. On one side, Father had planned on our destruction courtesy of the sword that I possessed, using myself as his agent, and was now chasing us since we discovered how he had lied. On the other side, Manon was hellbent on revenge against Father using all means at his disposal, including any of his previous colleagues locked inside us as sources of dark power. We couldn't allow Manon to win, or we would be obliterated. We had to force them to give us what we wanted, which was both peace and a home to make it worthwhile to keep. The morning sky outside was brightening as the train rolled on towards the next city. More passengers had boarded, and we were getting some strange looks. Most stepped around us. They seemed used to seeing the odd stranger amongst them. Still, Falkir's appearance and the sword strapped across my back were drawing the concerns of some officials, who were talking to radios and looking back and forth at each other, and us. A quick flare of power from Jack dissuaded them from causing trouble, and he marched them away from our car to give them some time to forget why they were so concerned in the first place. Nicely done, I told him. Jack's eyes faded from green to his regular dark pupils. Not a big deal, Mick. I figured you didn't want to get in a fight with these regular folk. Not that it would have been much of a fight. Falkir looked around at some of the passengers. Falkir looked around at some of the passengers. Wherever we're going, there better be something to eat. Don't make me restrain you, Otomo said to him. Just try it, ghost man. I have thought of an interesting way to make you disappear. That has little to do with your power. He patted his stomach with one leather-wrapped hand. Jack sighed. Let's keep things civil. We've got bigger problems to tackle right now than petty grudges. Unless, of course, you have one against Menon, like I do. Then the sky's the limit. Look, I'd rather we not go off half-cocked and get devoured by Menon. I interjected. Working at cross-purposes to each other can only strengthen his plans, whatever they might be. What of our plan? Otomo asked. What exactly are we going to do to stop him and make this crazy dream of yours a reality? I leaned in close, and Falker slid in beside me. Ooh, it creeped me out a bit. Do tell. I held my hands out in front of myself, nearly a foot between them. This much space at all times, Falker, I said. Seriously. I reached under the table and summoned up four little takeout boxes of barbecue chicken from the little place near the warehouse where Casey and I used to go, and handed one to Falker. I put the rest on the table. Will this keep you out of my face? I asked him. He ripped the box out of my hand. Silence! I'm eating. Jack and Otomo grabbed a box and I joined them. The silence was welcome after nearly a solid hour of talk. Something missing. I reached under the table and summoned a glass of dark ale from a bar that was beside the chicken place near the warehouse. Jack eyed the ale covetously as I brought it up from below and took a long drink from the glass. Sometimes it was good to be me. Show off, Jack muttered, gnawing on a drumstick. The door to the car behind ours slid open, and three teenagers with backpacks, two boys and a girl, came stumbling in and talking loudly. They kept on going along the corridor, heading up the next car. One of the boys, dressed in a long t-shirt, jeans, and a red baseball cap covering a mass of golden curls, stepped out to the window, his back to us. Enjoying the brew, he said. 
loud enough so that everyone could hear him. His friends kept on going, as if either he hadn't stopped or they didn't know him. Lying down on the job and hanging with the wrong crowd can get a guy fired, he said. I knew him. We were in trouble. The young man turned around and plucked a piece of chicken from Valkyr's box. He bit into it, looking directly at Valkyr's glowering eyes as he chewed. I had only seen the young man once, and I felt Apostos flinch inside me. He was Sibelius. But probably not just Sibelius. He was father's vessel. He finished with the piece of chicken, and dropped the bones back into Falkir's box. He dusted off his hands and became the image of the robed shepherd that I had met before, save for a very familiar gun belt that he dangled from one hand. He threw it on the table. There is nowhere that you can hide your friends that I cannot find them, Nick, he said. What have you done with them? He sat down across from us. They are safe right now. How long they remain that way depends on you and your fellow companions. I felt Felker tense. He was dangerous and would start a fight without any concern for bystanders. Ditto for Jack, promises notwithstanding. Get rid of the passengers, I said to him. Get them out of here and we'll talk. Sibelius nodded, and everyone in the car disappeared, except for the five of us. Does that help engender your negotiating spirit? Yes. I'll come with you if that's what it takes. Everyone here is coming with us, Sibelius said. Felker snatched up a bone from his box, cracked it in half, and put the sharp end of the bone against Sibelius's neck. Atomo phased through the seat and drew a small retractable blade from his coveralls. Jack looked over at me and I raised my hand. I don't think they like the idea, I told him, and neither do I. You've always got to have things your way, father. It's not going to happen. Sibelius smiled, looking down at the bone splinter poking into his neck. You think you'll have better luck this time, Falcare? He asked him. I've fought you before. I left you broken last time. My patience with you is drawing to a definite close. Falcare didn't know what he was fighting, Nick. He thought it was me when father beat him down. I didn't know that. That is how I died. Father took control of me after you sent me to spy on Manon. He spoke with Manon. They fought, and he abandoned my body to be tortured. He's pretty rough on his creations, isn't he? Or maybe he sees us as mere toys as an experiment. Lycomus muttered. Quiet down. Something's not right here. That's too bad. I have no idea what you're talking about, little man. But I know for certainty that you shouldn't have come alone. He put one sharp, clawed hand against Sibelius' chest. He was beginning to dig in when he stopped abruptly and sniffed the air. I started to smell something, too. Burning plastic and metal. It was getting warm in here. Oh, I didn't come alone. Near the front of the car, a large section of the ceiling collapsed in burning, melted chunks. Licks of silver fire still clung to the smoldering pieces. A robed figure in white leapt down from above, landing on one of the swiftly cooling pieces of metal that used to be the ceiling. His head was shaven, and he had a golden goatee. He had the familiar chainmail over his robes and shoulder pauldrons portraying roaring lions. When I saw his face, I realized I was looking at a dead man. Nicholas rose from the rubble, flexing his fingers as tiny flames danced on his fingertips. The window behind our table exploded, sending Jack and I sprawling forward to avoid the debris. A strong pair of arms wrapped around me from behind and dragged me backward in a chokehold. I saw that the hands were feminine, delicate, and dexterous, but ended in golden fingernails sharpened into claws. I heard the slight tinkle of something as the attacker drew me close to her. How about you tell Felke to let father go, Mick? Or do we unleash the full force of our displeasure against you and the rest of the old gang? 
<clears throat> so father brought you both back. You must be getting desperate. Or maybe just trying to make amends for Manon's acts against your little tribe, Sibelius said. Falker pushed Sibelius away. Lethia! She relaxed her hold on me. Julia, now. Hello, Felke. It will take a hell of a lot to make up for what you've done. We're running out of time, and it matters little what you believe about me. I have your friends, and I will only release them when you have heard me out. Father had remade Nicholas and Julia. Could his hand have truly changed their natures, or were they merely the same monsters except now under his control? He had tipped the odds in his favor now, and he had the rest of the group somewhere, and could probably hold them until I cooperated with whatever he had in mind. I had to risk hearing him out, or at least until I had a clear view of what was going on. Okay, but I'm not listening to another damn thing until you take us to where the others are being held. I need to know they're safe. Very well. Prepare yourselves. Can you get us back from where he sends us, Apostos? If it is anywhere within the worlds, or in the palace, then I can use your ability to cross through to make a door to get back. So, as long as I have the power to cross, then you can bring us back? Yes. Beautiful. I didn't agree to this. Not to any of this. He howled, grabbing at my shirt. Ah, don't be afraid, Valkyr. Jack said. It won't hurt a bit. Of course, you know, I could be lying and it might be excruciating. You're all bastards. All of you. Then a brilliant light flashed before our eyes and we all disappeared. Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning in to The Lost Tribe, Sins of the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep the story going.